On this podcast, I interview people from all walks of life who in some way identify with the term exvangelical. On that note, everyone has their own personal story, their own vocabulary. Uh, When listening to this podcast, there may be things that you agree with and things that you don't agree with. And I invite you to just sit and hold space for the person that you're listening to. Computer. All right. So this week we have Reverend Devin Reynolds with us. Devin, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, where you're at, what you're up to. Sure. My name's Devin Reynolds. I'm the pastor at a church here in Lawton, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And I am originally from Alabama. You can probably hear that in my voice a little bit. Um, Born and raised in Northwest Alabama. And yeah, I've been um, in ministry now for going on five years full time. And yeah, that's kind of where I sit right now in the space that I'm holding. Awesome. Um, So about probably about two months ago, I sent out a little thing saying, hey, season two is about to start. And I needed people to uh, be on the podcast, to be interviewed. So what drew you to to want to be interviewed on an ex-evangelical podcast? Well, as many of us, I think yourself included, we've been through what that evangelical movement did. Um, I graduated in like 2000. So like in the Mm -hmm. heart of Jesus Rock, like really hitting the South and the boom that happened there with the mega churches and those kinds of things. And so um, I've had my own journey out of that, and I'm now Presbyterian USA, and I'm ordained, which is kind of crazy considering the options, um, was a pastor's wife or a Sunday school mm. teacher, uh, maybe Christian ed, but that was pushing it. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I work a lot with um, young women, especially in their 20s, who are walking that exact same path and kind of guiding them through that and what that looks like and how you face those and how you deconstruct and reconstruct. And so, yeah. So I was like, Oh my gosh. Cause when I started listening to your podcast, I was like, this is perfect. This is awesome. (laughs) This is where so many of us are and we just don't talk about it. Yeah. And the stories are so great because everyone kind of ends up in different spaces. Right. Um, I just interviewed Flamey Grant. That was the uh, the episode that went out today. And to see someone that kind of grew up in our same, you know, again, like st- still loves, you know, the the Christian, contemporary mm-hmm. Christian, you know, music from our time, the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. And to see her as a drag queen spreading the gospel, <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing and just you know that some people don't even come back to faith which you know is fine too um when did you become a christian was it something you were kind of born into or came to on your own yeah that's a that's a mixed bag question right (laughs) like oh when were you born and say yeah when were you you born born again again? (laughs) born again um i mean i came from a very christian family Uh, my parents um I think we're church of God and holiness, mm. um, but they never push that on their kids. So there's seven of us and we have everything from conservative church of Christ to Baptist to Methodist, um, atheist. I mean, we just, we have a mixed bag. Um, and so Christianity and sp- I would say spirituality, because my father um, was native and for him, you know, there was always this, like having the spirit talked about in the home Mm. was never off limits, right? Right? Like the, the movement of the spirit, the great spirit, all of that was, you know, just kind of woven into who we were. I think that's also deeply rooted in Appalachian tradition. Um, And, you know, with our home remedies and our, you know, all our little fun things that we like to do that make us a little weird. But I think that for me, you know, it was just a matter of where I was going to end up. It was never not, not being Christian was never an option, right? It was like, what vein would it be? And so I think early on I was being, I'm the youngest of seven and by like a long way, like the next oldest sibling is 13 years older than me. Well, 
And so I was a way oops baby for my parents. <laughs> um, so I was drugged to all these different churches and all these different experiences. And the problem was, was that I was very talkative and I questioned everything like, I, and I still do. I'm 43 and I ask more questions in a day than most people even think to kind of ponder with. And I just want more information. But so it was just always which vein of Christianity I was going to end up in. For me, it was, um, believe it or not, super conservative missionary Baptist. Mm. Um, but it was the first place that I went that had kids my age. And the pastor's kids were my age and we were able to kind of be friends. And then I had that whole, I guess I was 12 or 13 when I was saved and baptized. Mm. Uh, and I was 25 when I, I, I know the exact date I left the Baptist church, October 22nd of 2005. That's my wedding day. <laughs> Um, and that's our wedding, my husband and I's anniversary. And I love, I, st I, mean, I still love the pastor. He preached my father's funeral six months later, but when in our wedding, he hijacked our wedding with a marriages between one man, one, which was not in any of the rehearsal documents and stuff. We got in the car and I looked at my husband and I said, I think I'm done. And that was it. Mm. I was like, I'm done. I'm never going back to the Missionary Baptist Church. And so then I pondered and kind of walked through like all these different denominations. And I'd played around in college with Messianic Judaism, with um, reading the Bible on my own, studying, uh, found myself in mega churches all over um, Huntsville, Alabama, which was home. And so for me, it just finally came down to nothing was fitting. And I didn't like the mega church. I wasn't raised in it. Um, and so I was kind of raised anti-mega church, right? Like everything they're doing, don't do. And so um, ultimately I had a girlfriend say, you just need to realize you're Presbyterian and get over it. <laughs> and I didn't even know what a Presbyterian was. Yeah. And so I started researching it. I was like, oh my gosh, Presbyterian. <laughs> and I've been Presbyterian ever since. So yeah, that's kind of, you know, coming, looking on it and kind of walking through it. I had so many friends and still have so many friends who are in that evangelical mega church bubble and have so many friends who are still pastors and ministers in that movement. And I respect them and I respect everything they do, but I look on it through a lens of trauma mm -hmm. and go, how do kids at six, seven, 12 years old, what kind of world are we living in where we put so much guilt on them that they're going to rot in hell? Yeah. Um, I've never met a, you know, maybe the room wasn't clean. Maybe they, but <laughs> I, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where that's going to send someone to hell. Yeah. That's kind of how I came out of it and started the journey of deconstruction and battling with my own, women can't be pastors, women can't be elders, and realizing that for me, God's calling was always there mm -hmm. from the time I was really young. I didn't have the language around it. Yeah. I didn't know there was a language that said it was okay for God to call me into this kind of work and into this life. And for me, that's very sad because I meet a lot of young women a lot of queer folks who have never heard that, no, you too can be worthy of God's calling on your life. And you are. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of want to go back to um, your wedding day. Cause I know yeah. that that wasn't just the pastor. And I can imagine what he said. Um, because I've been to those weddings. Yeah, you've been to those <laughs> you, weddings, right? And you just I had cringed. many friends at those weddings oh, that I was so appalled. And you just cringe the entire time, you know. Yeah. And you will submit to your husband, even if he's a piece of shit. You will always submit to him. 
Um, but I know that that wasn't, that was probably maybe the final straw. That was the, that's right. That's true. So what yeah. was the process up to that? Sure. Cause I know like, because for us, we don't wake up one day and go, I'm done. Like it's, it's, pro- it, it's it progressively. Yeah. Right. So I, you know, I was really lucky in that the pastor that I had had daughters. And so I don't know if he realizes how influential he was on my call to ministry Mm. because he didn't shut me down when I had questions. Yeah. He answered them and he respected that. Um, I think what there was a shift that happened, I would say in the late nineties, pre nine 11, but really honed in after nine 11, where the dialogue went from how do we love people to hate Mm -hmm. and i actually preached on this last week which is so funny that it came up but um i am a strong believer that 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 term love the sinner hate the sin is a sin itself Mm -hmm. because you are preaching hate and that has no home in the church and um and I started hearing that regularly and it, it started bothering me that we were more interested in, you know, who was out versus who was in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, re- you know, I'm reading this amazing book called the Bible going, especially the gospels going, mm-hmm. wait, this guy, Jesus didn't talk about any of that stuff. Yeah. Like he didn't even bring it up. Like, but that's all we heard in church. Mm-hmm. You know, I never, you know, in my, I never heard the good news of the gospel. You know, we, we focused on the Pauline letters. We focused on the old Testament and revelations and, but it was never, here's the good news. And so I think I was seeking out that. Um, and it just, it started to feel uncomfortable where, cause I had many friends who, you know, were gay and lesbian you know, I think our generation just, it just never, you know, I was born in 1980. So, you know, in the height of the AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. and it was just never an issue, I think for our generation to think of a world where that wasn't just normal. Yeah. Right. Where people were hurting and you are to love them and you are to care for them. And it doesn't have anything to do with how they identify. And that, I picked up through school and I picked that up through friends and, you know, it was just one of those where it's just like the church kept moving further and further away from that. And it wasn't, you know, just my hometown, small town church. It was the entire denomination. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the Southern Baptist and the anti Disney and the left behind books and, somehow that worked its way into theology when it was fiction. Yeah. And yeah. So there was a lot that built up to that, a lot of hypocrisy, I think of recognizing that, you know, we stand up, people stand up there in the pulpit and they preach about how, you know, when they found God that suddenly all their sin melted away and they became this perfect being and, I'm going, um, are you not human? Yeah. Because that's not possible. And so I think for me, it was just this rational realization that I can't drink the Kool-Aid on this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not what I'm reading. It doesn't, you know, I'm sorry. I know too many. And this was, you know, when I was a teenager and, you know, I was like, I know too many folks who are in loving, caring relationships that are far more loving and caring than these guys who are getting up in the pulpit and preaching against these loving and caring relationships. And so I think that was it for me. It was like, it really was like, yeah, no, this is not okay. And it kind of set me on this trajectory of saying, no, that's not what's in there. And that's not how this works. And, you know, that's kind of been what I've spent the last 20 years, whether it was working in the corporate world um to working in the church it was just like yeah no this is we're not going to treat people different because of who they love yeah or how they identify and so yeah it was a long burn but yeah that day was the final straw it was like no this is 
this is because it's like you know I, I really believe where you know where you are and where your money is is where your heart is and that yeah. was not where my heart was so yeah that's that's what kind of turned the tides for me was kind of that this is not okay and then realizing that across the board that this was the norm and that was heartbreaking and yeah. I think that's the reason why I walked away from the church organized church for probably six years where I didn't go unless it was a wedding or a funeral because it was just not a place that I felt like and I hate to say this I didn't feel like God was in that space yeah not for me that's not where I was finding the spirit and yeah so when I found the Presbyterian church it was like ah there is a place for me and there is a place for ideas and there is a place for God's people it just looks different sounds different and acts different than anything I'd ever heard before yeah so then what got you because if you took this kind of spiritual sabbatical I guess we could say um what got you to Austin what got you to uh seminary what got me to seminary? That's a good one. Um, I have had every job under the sun. Um, yeah, it's like I, trying to avoid I, the call. That's what I was I, doing. I was like, yeah, completely no. running and not realizing <laughs> what I was running from that. I was uh -huh. actually running to something. Yeah. My parents once joked and said, honey, we, we know we told you that you could be anything when you grow up. We just didn't realize you wanted to be everything <laughs> right and I really do it's like I want to try everything at least mm -hmm. once like that's just my personality I don't want to do your job I just want to know how you do it right yeah. so I think that's just curiosity but for me it was I was working in the corporate world um, at a fortune 15 tech company middle management climbing that corporate ladder um, I had was really though missing that spiritual connection like it was really rough. Like I was like, I, I don't, I felt like I wasn't like grounded because I knew that I was strong spiritually, but I also believe you need a community that faith mm -hmm. is better served when you're not alone in it. And so that's where, um, my girlfriend was like, I was like, I'm so frustrated. I can't find a church and I'm going to this church and that church and it's horrible. And why does a church have a $34,000 a week budget? This makes no sense to me. And so, you know. And they the barely pay their staff anything. No, I know. <laughs> and I'm like going, that's half my salary. And yeah. they're spending that in a week. Yeah. Um, And so that's when she was like, well, I think you need to go out. My, hus my husband's a Presbyterian minister. And I knew he was a pastor. I didn't know what kind. I'd mm -hmm. been friends with him at that point for almost seven years and never thought to ask him what denomination he was, which tells you a lot about us Presbyterian pastors. We really don't wear that on our sleeve. And so I started researching the Presbyterian church. I went, he wasn't preaching that week, but I was like, oh my word, I have, this is great. And so I came back the next week because they said, hey, we're having a potluck. I was like, oh, I love a good potluck. And I brought a covered dish, you know, because that's what you do as a church lady. And, and um, I was like, well, I don't have to take that Tupperware home with me because I know that I'll get it back next week. Or if I don't, Brad will bring it home or whatever. And I can get that Tupperware back, you know. And so I came back the third week. And that's when I was informed, well, congratulations. We now consider you a member. And I was like, what? They're like, you left your Tupperware. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> I was like, oh, I get it. Uh, country church <laughs> membership rules. Got it. Um, and so from there, it was like I started getting more active in the church. And weird things started happening, like people going, hey, you know, we really think you're gifted in this area. Hmm. Have you ever thought about preaching a sermon? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I have not. You know, like women like, oh, can't do that. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah. You know? And so then they broached the subject of me becoming in our tradition, a ruling elder, which is basically the church governance. And so I, I really struggled with it. I prayed about it. I had hour long conversations with, sorry, my phone is ringing. Pastor life. I promise it's on um silent and it still rang through my speaker 
Um, but yeah, I um, had hours long conversations with my mom, um, who was always my rock and, you know, about what that meant. And she was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe in women pastors. Did you know women pastors, sister so-and-so and sister so-and-so through the Pentecostal and Church of God and those mm -hmm. types of things? Oh, yeah, well, I do. And so, I, you know, I, I thought about it a long time and I said, okay, yes, I will be an elder. And so I took over an elder seat and then they're like, well, well you're really good at this. Why don't you be the clerk of session, which takes all the notes and the minutes. And it's like, okay. And so I started doing that after about a year. And then um, they put out a call in our presbytery and said, we haven't sent anybody to seminary in like 10 years. And we really want to send some seminarians to school. We have some funding. If you're interested, come talk to us. And that was in 2010, 2011, I guess. And so I was like, oh, I don't know. And over a couple of dinner parties and stuff, people were like, no, 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 you really need to do this. <laughs> and so I went and met with a committee and they're like, yeah, you really do need to do this. And so I went back to school because like all Jack and Jill's of all trades, I found technology and boy, I didn't need that undergrad with technology. I can make all <laughs> the money I wanted just by being good with a computer. And so I went back and finished my business degree while working full-time mm. um during that time my big sister died so that put like a year's kink in it because i mm. really when you're when your best friend dies yeah the world stops and she was the oldest and i was the youngest so we were when i say we were close we were close i mean we were and we were so much alike mm -hmm. so i put that on hold for put school on hold for a year um did some good therapy regrouped and graduated in 2016, graduated in June with my business degree, left my job in August and started seminary in September. And so finding Austin Seminary was a journey in itself. Um, being from the Southeast, everybody wanted me to go to Columbia um, Seminary, which is um, in Decatur, Georgia mm. or Louisville, um, maybe Princeton, but they were like, ooh, Austin you want to go to Austin that's too liberal <laughs> so so I found myself in and I went to Austin and I remember calling my husband Jim and like on Thursday night I came in Thursday night for a whole week for the discovery weekend process and I came in and I was like okay here we go and I I called him at like 10 o'clock at night and I said honey I think he goes do not say it you are not allowed to say you are going to Austin, Texas for your degree until you've been there for at least a couple of days. I was like, okay. But I knew, I knew from the moment I arrived that that was home yeah. and that was where God wanted me to be and that it would forever change who I am. And it has. And, you know, I got there and always joked. I said, okay, so I'm, I'm, a little too conservative for Austin, but way too crazy liberal for North Alabama. <laughs> and I have never served a church in my home presbytery. And I don't think I probably ever will because in their mind, you go to Austin and it's like, Ooh, here we go. I am crazy, crazy. But, and I, you know, I was raised in a, conser a, a conservative Christian home, but with, union organizing liberal parents and so those things in my world just always you know it's like those go straight together right mm -hmm. like we can have conservative faith and go out and you know serve our people and do all of those things and yeah so it was just always fun being in austin to go yeah no why do people think that no really great and then you know be on the other side of that mm-hmm and I always say I'm a reluctant, a reluctant activist. Mm. I'm more of an act, more of an advocate instead of an activist. Um, but God kind of sends you down the roads that you're supposed to go on. And sometimes you just have to hold your breath and jump. So yeah, yeah getting to Austin was interesting. Um, I was out, I was there for three years. My husband stayed in Alabama, so we commuted. Um, but 
I, you know, I still, I, I'm on the alumni board. I try to be as active as I can with the seminary and with all, still stay in complete contact with all of my friends from seminary. And in fact, your first guest, Jonathan Freeman is one of my guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I just, that Austin really was. And then I plugged in at, I took an admin job at Trinity Church of Austin. Mm, yeah. While Sid, while Sid was still the pastor. Yep. And um, before he retired. And so I ended up two years there and did even did my internship there. And so it was just really one of those things where it was like kind of life-giving to be able to be in a church that was like 150, 200 people, which is really large if you're from the rural parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Um but is small in Austin terms. Right. And so, yeah, it was just really good. And it was um, and a, a completely different tradition too. It's UCC and, and UMC. Methodist. Yeah. 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 Well, my husband's Methodist. Okay. So it's not like too radical that, and, and one thing that you learn quickly is that Methodist and Presbyterians, UCCs, United Churches of Christ, Disciples of Christ, we interplay really well together yeah. with a good strong dose of Episcopalians in there too. <laughs> so it's like those mainline denominations that are out there trying to do the good work and change the world. We're pretty close. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not a huge job. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the beauty about seminary is like having good friends and all these different denominations. Right. Um, and even like the UUs, the UUs are some of my favorite people. And if I don't have a UU and, or sorry, I, I always get it wrong. Unitarian Universalist. Yes. Um, yeah. I love, I, I miss their perspective if they're not in a class, <laughs> you know, like I just, I just love their, their outlook. Yeah. Um, One of my closest friends here in Lawton is the vice president of our local UU congregation. And I'm always like gearing her towards like, let me introduce you to Reverend Dr. Yu Yu. <laughs> no, no, no. You too can be a Reverend Dr. Yu Yu someday. <laughs> and she's like, that's a thing. I'm like, yes, I went to seminary with awesome Yu Yu pastors and they exist because mm -hmm. our, our congregation here is mainly, it's all lay led. So they don't have like a traditional pastorate. So yeah, but I'm with you that it, it keeps me on my toes. Right. And it also, yeah. I think having other perspective, other perspectives reminds us that we're all working towards the same goal. And as long as that goal is feeding God's people, loving God's people, making sure that everybody is cared for, then, you know, we can let, let the other stuff go aside. Yeah. And even just being allowed to disagree with somebody, because in our oh, right. in our previous traditions, you no. just kind of like nod and smile, right? Like, yes, yeah, you know, you never disagreed. You never I mean, you said you asked a lot of questions, but, you know, it was just that you kind of like bear. What is it like Baron gritted it? You know, you're just like, yeah. OK, yeah, yeah, a okay, lot of ways. sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was it's always funny in that, you know a lot of what I find with folks that I work with is that they're not comfortable asking questions, mm -hmm. you know? And so I regularly, you know, explain the Bible is not a book of answers. The Bible is a book of questions that hopefully with God's guidance and a good dose of the Holy spirit, you will find an answer, mm -hmm. but it's probably not going to be printed in black and white. Yeah. Whereas I remember, and I don't know if you were, if you were a party to this experience of like, if you ever struggle with something, just open your Bible. The yeah. answer is right there. Just open to a page and read, <laughs> and God will tell you exactly what you need to know. Yeah, it was the basic instructions before leaving Earth. It That's never what they worked the Bible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it never. I was like. My checkbook's not balancing. No, it's not in there. <laughs> it's like, no, I, I do need some practical life lessons, you know, that helps. And I think that that's, you know, one of the shifts that I have seen as I've gotten older in the last 20 years is this desire 
I hear a lot and it, it this term makes me so mad. I don't know why I have anger issues around it is the term is the term people use like none, mm. like non-religious. And I'm like, the no, nuns no. and duns. Right. Let's stop calling it nuns and duns and let's start calling it seeking and finding. Mm. Right. Like very few people that I know that say, well, I'm spiritual, non-religious. Okay. So what are you seeking? Yeah. Where has the church hurt you? How do we work through that religious trauma and show people that there's a better way? And that's, you know, one of the things that I think was missing and still remains missing. I, you know, regularly have conversations with folks who are like, well, you know, that are wrapped up in, um, you know, prosperity gospel, even today. And, you know, who are like, well, if I just give more or, you know, if I pray harder, I will get more blessings. And I'm like, you know, a new car is great, but I assure you, God didn't sit up there and say, you need a new car today. <laughs> you worked really hard to get that car. Yeah, now God yeah. gave you the strength and the smarts and the ability to do it. But the car itself is not a manifestation of God's blessing on your life. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, what does fact, that look like to the the single mom that, you know, Right. But the that the pastor is still like, but you still need to give your 10%, even though you can ba- barely feed your baby. You know. that, that makes me so sick in so many ways. And, you know, and that's the reason why it's like, no, time and talent are often, I, I tell people all the time, look, I can get checks. What I can't get is someone to come in and make the coffee, mm-hmm. right? You can get checks. What I can't get is someone willing to go to the food pantry and feed people, right? Like checks are wonderful, but I don't want your money if I can't have, you know, it's like money is great, but money does not keep a church running. It doesn't make, it doesn't feed people. It buys food, but it doesn't physically feed people. Yeah. And I think that that's a big difference in, I think it's just a theological difference, right? That says that, you know, I'd rather have less and serve more people than to have more and see it coming out of the, out of widows and single Mm -hmm. moms and those kinds of things. And it's, it's hard because you meet so many people who that's the only faith they've ever known. Right. Yeah. Or even like the bait and switch, right? If you come to our food pantry, before we give you any food or clothing, you need to sit through this service and then we'll give you food and clothing. Like, why can't we just. Yeah. And that's, and I'm like, we do not have a food pantry here at our congregation, but we collect food for Mm. our local food bank, which then distributes to all of the different food pantries. Um, and I'm very selective about my own time, right? Because I think as pastors, where we may not give financially, we give a lot of our time, mm-hmm. right? And so I always make sure that it's like, if I'm going to volunteer at a food pantry or a food bank, I make sure that they're not checking zip codes. I make sure that they're not getting your personal information and stuff, right? Like, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he didn't go, can I get your bank account? <laughs> yeah. um, can you show me your um, snap card? Mm-hmm. You know? And so I try to be real intentional about where I give my time and talents so that the, the people that need it are the ones that are getting served. And when I say need, it's not my opinion about who needs it. It's that these people were humble enough to come and say, I need help. Yeah. And so I think that that's, and that's something that I learned, you know, at Trinity there in Austin was from their food pantry was they didn't check. They were the only one in the area that people would come to and didn't have to prove their residency or show where they lived. It was just like, no, everybody got in line. Everybody drew a number. So it didn't matter if you got there at 8 a.m. or if you got there when it opened at nine, everybody drew a number as to which order they were going to be in. And Mm so, you know, just kind of trying to make sure that everyone had an equal shot at getting the resources. And that taught me a lot. Um, I've learned a lot um, from my friends here in Lawton about 
people experiencing homelessness. And I think as, you know, a white now middle class, which still blows my mind to think of that coming out of poverty and a working class background, um, there's, you know, as bad as it feels, there's always that sense of fear around. I don't know why, like, I guess it's probably popular media and what we're fed in the news, you know, that, Ooh, and now it's like, whatever. It's like, just help people, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, as long as the person's not experiencing a mental breakdown, chances are you're going to be just fine. Yeah. How are you doing today? What can I help you with those kinds of things? And that's something that I know that I've struggled to overcome, overcome, you know, even in the last three years of just being like, yeah, no, um, there's no fear there. Um, there's just as much fear from someone who is sleeping on the streets as somebody that walks into your church on Sunday. I mean, let's face it. Chances are you're probably have a better chance of getting killed in your own worship service than you do helping someone who's in need on the street. Yeah. And that's a very sad state. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your parents a few times. I, I wonder how, what do they think when you said, Hey mom, dad, guess what? I'm going to be a Presbyterian pastor. You know? Okay. So my, so my parents, <laughs> best cheerleaders ever. So my father did, my father died when I was um, 25. Mm. So, so we got married that fall and my dad died in February. Um, and but he died at 78 right oh. remember the huge yeah, age gap yeah. in his 50s when i was born and so then my mom was over the moon like just so over the moon and i remember this was i think it, i mean it had to have been the first year of seminary um she told me she goes you know she goes i've been thinking a lot she goes why did God send me a child at 47? She says, nobody should have a baby at 47. <laughs> she says, I had grown kids. I had, she had grand, they had grandkids, you know, just like, and then God sent me you. And she said, in the moment you told me that you were going to seminary and we're going to be a pastor, I knew exactly why God sent me a child mm. at 47. And I just, you know, driving down the, it, road in austin texas just weeping right because <laughs> oh, yeah. and the roads are already dangerous enough <laughs> exactly exactly um <laughs> you know i my i would say that probably my siblings had a harder time with it than i than my parents um because of their faith traditions mm-hmm. um my brothers were cool with it my oldest sister who passed while i was in school um getting my undergrad Although she didn't really believe in women pastors when I told her, she said, yeah, I can so see that, (laughs) right? Like I get it. Um, I did have a sister who really struggled with it. Um, and that's because of her faith tradition and her and her husband really. But I think that as time has went by and, you know, you move forward now, it's like, oh no, that is who Devin has always been. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I tell people all the time, because, you know, when you deal with church trauma and you deal with, you know, traumas that are placed on people through religion and family, I tell people that, you know, looking on it now, how blessed I feel that I have family who loved me, who loves me so much that they worry about my soul. Mm. Right. Even if I feel like it's misplaced, yeah, worry. that says a lot, right? Like if, if somebody doesn't love you, they're probably not worried about your eternal soul, Mm -hmm. right? Like probably couldn't care less. (laughs) And so I try to remind people that a lot of times the trauma that we experience is not out of a place of malice, but out of a place of fear. And that's just been a way that I've been able to reframe it for myself to say that, you know, that, it is, it's coming from a place of love and that that's okay. And that with time it gets better and it does. Um, it, it gets really better. (laughs) 
And so I, I can look back on that now and go, yeah, you know what? It's, it's fine. Um, my big brother who is almost like a hero, um, you know, he told me, he said, he's like, I don't know how you're going to do this. He goes, you cry over everything. <laughs> he goes, exactly. How are you going to deal with, you know, being a minister and crying over everything? And I told him, I said, well, I'd rather have a pastor sit with me at my bedside and weep with sadness with me than to walk in in a suit with the Bible, say a few words over me and have a good day. Yeah. I was like, and that's not what I think ministry is. And it's not, that's not what ministry has been for me. Um, I cry a lot at bedsides. I cry a lot with people. And I think that that's completely acceptable. And that is something that you would never hear is acceptable in the evangelical church, right? Like pastors don't have any issues. Yeah. Well, unless they get caught in an issue. <laughs> and they and even cry. then, well, even then, if they just reconcile, they can get right back into the, the pulpit. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've never, I, I, I don't know about you, Britt, but that's never been the case for me and my female form that that's acceptable. Right. <laughs> oh no, we would be called a Jezebel, like uh, all, all the, the horrible things, all the horrible, um, the, the double standards. Uh, and it's funny, the ones that they're all the ones that are really mad at the Barbie movie too. It's like, I guess you just totally, you totally missed the point. Didn't you? <laughs> Yes. totally missed it um so yeah i think you kind of touched on this a little bit but what is something that you still hold dear from your previous life the music mm. you know yeah. i i i never was a jesus rock person right like contemporary christian music i leave it for camp and conference ministry <laughs> i get a good dose of it in the summer and then i'm good like it's never you know never on the radio I love bluegrass gospel. Mm. I love the blood hymns, right? Like if you've ever sat through Cindy Rigby's class and she's like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm yeah. like I love them. I love mm -hmm. them. Like put me on the old rugged cross. Do mm -hmm. it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I love, you know, I really do love a good bluegrass gospel. I love it. I will, those hymns, you know, and I tell people, it's like a lot of times, especially in our more liberated theologies. We want to close that door to those things. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. come on guys. There's certain, you know, there's certain hymns that come to mind that just take you back to your home. And those are those hymns. And I know if it's that way for me, it's that way for my aging congregation, mm -hmm. right? And so I would love to say that, you know, no, we're not going to, that doesn't match our theology. We're not going to have that on Sunday morning. Yeah, no, on occasion, we're going to have that on Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, we're going to, I always call it, you know, I'm going to select old hymn Sunday. Mm. And, you know, I dig through the, I, I use, a, we use the glory to God hymnal, which is a Presbyterian hymnal. So none of it's like the bad stuff, right? <laughs> But I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I will go through because we have the old hymns that are mm -hmm. like back in the library or we have a folder of their favorite hymns that didn't make it into glory of God. Mm. And so I will, um, you know, sometimes just go through and pull those for occasions because they get used a lot at funerals. People will request them and things like that. And so that's a tradition that I just really from time to time think. Yeah, no, I'm not ready to say goodbye to that. I'm, you know, I think that it's important that we remember that there was suffering on the cross that yeah. Um, I do a lot as somebody who has a disability and also does a lot of work with disability theology. It's like, no, no, no. I need to remember that God carried those wounds to heaven, that Jesus, when he walked with us, he actually walked in a body that, you know, and I think sometimes we lose that in our more modern hymns right like we mm -hmm. don't have that same there's something about that and the only word i can think of is brutality of what praise and worship was growing up that really reminded me that we were that jesus was in a body mm -hmm. and that that's okay right like yeah jesus was in a body that's kind of the whole point 
that he gets it. And yeah. so, so yeah, that's something that I hold on to are those old bluegrass gospel hymns. Um, well, gospel in general, like I love, like send me, I will go to any gospel meeting you want to send me to. <laughs> um, the more amens, the better. Yeah. I'm, I'm just that I'd like to hold on to that. I, I encourage it. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. It's always crickets when I preach. I'm like, come on guys. Come on, come just on. Give, me something. <laughs> give me something. Um, I did one funeral that was, um, it was at, I, I helped with a funeral. I did help do a part of the eulogy at one of our African-American churches mm. here in Lawton. And it was the best thing ever. Yeah. Cause he was like, you get an amen and you get an amen. Yeah. Everybody gets amen. <laughs> I'm like, come on, team. So I'm like, every Sunday I work with like the little ones. I'm like, who can say amen? <laughs> I'm, I'm teaching them. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, Let's do it. God, I so, love yeah, it. The things that I hold on to. Yeah, I love the hymns too. Um, and really no other Christian music can move me like a good old hymn. Like I have decided to follow Jesus like that's such a, I mean, and they were going through things. Like if you look at these hymns, my most favorite is it is well with my soul. Like, Oh yeah. Just so good. And I really love uh, Jennifer Knapp and audio adrenaline did a version of it back in the early two thousands. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I get chills just thinking about the old hymns, which is, it's great. Yeah. I mean, um, I miss throwing my hands up and just just leaving it on the floor if that makes sense right? yeah like we're seeing from so deep in your soul that you feel like you're just a puddle on the floor mm-hmm. you don't need an altar in that situation you, it's because it's like the whole room melts away and it's just you and god yeah and i i miss those things yeah i do miss those things yeah yeah now just let's speed through this hymn real quick all right and we're done <laughs> yeah no it's like and so it's like trying to I don't know it's different traditions right like you know presbyterians our hymns are very in order and very Mm -hmm. measured and i'm like can we speed that up a little can we add a little jazz a little funk a little funk yeah i have a i have a friend who is who i work in college ministry with and he's a jazz pianist but he also Mm. plays at a baptist church a hispanic baptist church and so whenever he does we do a funeral together he usually gets here early i'm here early and on several occasions it's been just like a good old-fashioned singing in the sanctuary before everybody gets here where it's just like flipping through the hymnal just which takes you right back because we used to do that when we were kids you Mm -hmm. know whoever played the piano and it would be like the whole youth group and they're just like singing at the top of our lungs and so yeah i i want the kids that i work with to have those kinds of memories but i want them to have them in a way that doesn't traumatize them right yeah Yeah. and even if it does have questionable theology at the end be like so what do we think about this right like do we necessarily have to go yeah that's atonement theology and you know or i'm thinking you threw yeah you threw me back to cindy's class i don't Um, care (laughs) hey cindy hey uh she cindy and jen lord always get shout outs on the the podcast which i'm sure you've heard (laughs) i have and i'll tell you what um if right now i'm like looking at this mess of the desk and i told cindy this recently i said two books that are always on my desk holding faith by Mm. cindy rigby i also have migliori because you can't have cindy without migliori yeah um yeah so those are the books that's like aside from my other stuff it's like yeah those are the ones that are all because cindy puts it in a way that i can understand it yes yeah yeah and yeah and i love that she does start singing the hymns too like i i love cindy so much i need to reach out to her um what is something and we're coming the hour i'm telling you it goes super fast um, what is something that you would want to tell your younger self? This could be you back in youth. It could be you five minutes ago. Just what would you want to tell your younger self? You're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like all the rocky starts, not being able to read till I was older and being held back in school and the struggling to make B's and C's when everybody else is making A's that all of that's going to be okay that it's going to be fine that when you you know that it's just it's going to be good you know 
all of the trauma of your childhood, um, all the bullying, all of that stuff, you get to control your own narrative. Mm. And you don't have to, you don't have to be a teacher, a secretary, or a preacher's wife to be <laughs> successful in the world. That's very good. Uh, what is something that you would want to tell somebody listening to the interview? That God loves you. That the church, if it is, if you are in a situation where your church is preaching hate, that is not a house of God. That's a house of man. And that you can find faith that doesn't hurt or harm. And that if you choose not to come back to your faith, know that there are people of faith out there who are still there for you mm -hmm. that will not judge you for that, no. who will love you anyway, and will welcome you when you just need that occasional, Hey, I just want to go to church and pray. Okay. Mm -hmm. Go to church and pray. There's no judgment and there's no, no strings yeah. attached. And that's, that's the big one is that you're loved, that faith shouldn't ha come with butts and it shouldn't come with strings. And if it does, seek out a different place. That's great. Well, Devin, it's been so fun. Um, I have one book recommendation. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Book recommendation. I would, cause I would also say everybody needs to read this book. It's called the rapture exposed. Ooh. Um, the message of hope in the book of revelations by Barbara R. Rossing. And I, I will send you a link so you can add it to the podcast yeah. link. But yeah. the best part of this book is it breaks down the entire left behind series <laughs> and how it was used to traumatize us in our childhood uh, and youth and how you can come out of it. Nice. We need to send so, one to Kurt Cameron. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. He's going to be in Texas this week. Oh, bless yeah. his heart. Okay. Bless he's not in heart. Oklahoma. So at least he's down there with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh him and ray comfort man we used to use their stuff all the time um oh. but so we're gonna go ahead and say bye but hang on uh after i yeah okay bye folks bye folks if you've enjoyed this podcast please leave a review on Instagram or on Facebook. You can find us at Another Exvangelical Podcast on all streaming platforms. You can also leave reviews on, I believe, any platform that you're listening to. I know you can on Spotify, but the best way to reach me is through Facebook and Instagram. I would love to hear from y'all. Let me know what you want to hear in season two. Let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, um, what uh, was hard to digest in season one. I really, really would love to hear from y'all. You can send me a private message or you can message under the, uh, the picture of the episode that you would like to comment on. Y'all take care. That is all for this week's episode. Tune in next week where I interview Richard Parson, who is the founder of Round Rock Pride in Round Rock, Texas. Goodbye.